Recognizing the true dangers in the spiritual formation movement. Today, many are asking, what's the big kerfuffle over spiritual formation anyway? Don't we need a deeper experience with God? To many, the concept of spiritual formation is harmless, even good. It is a loosely defined term that can mean Christian growth and maturity or anything spiritual, and some have used the concept simply to help others recognize their need to foster deeper, genuine spiritual growth and transformation. So the term means something different depending on who is using it. Answering the question, is the concept of spiritual formation biblical? Mark Finley writes, if we define spiritual formation as being formed into the image of Christ as we meditate upon God's Word, seek Him in prayer, and open our minds to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, certainly it is biblical. The Apostle Paul admonishes believers at Rome not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. To understand the seriousness of the issue at hand, we must look a little deeper. The kerfuffle over spiritual formation, as some have called it, is more than just a battle over bad terminology, for terminology is often changing, especially as certain terms become offensive in Christian circles. While many spiritual formation practices have been around since the Middle Ages, the term spiritual formation originated with a system of spiritual exercises or disciplines invented in 1548 by Ignatius Loyola, the Roman Catholic founder of the Jesuit order. These spiritual disciplines all centered around evaluation of one's feelings and recognition of God's voice within. The exercises were designed to teach the young Jesuit priest in training to submit his mind to that of his superior. The superior was given the title of spiritual director. Although this may appear to be innocent spiritual shepherding, in reality it is putting another man in spiritual control of one's own life. It's really about mind control. While godly mentoring is encouraged in the Bible, this spiritual directorship is not according to the pattern of Scripture. It's not easy to recognize at first, for we find here truth and error mixed in very subtle ways. While appearing to dedicate themselves to the greater glory of God and being seemingly noble on many fronts, Jesuits take three vows, one of poverty, one of chastity, and one of obedience. What many do not realize is that the Jesuit order was originally founded with the sole aim to secure wealth and power to be devoted to the overthrowing of Protestantism and to the re-establishment of papal supremacy. And it did its job well. In early years, it was known for its open cruelty to those who opposed the Catholic Church traditions, and especially to those who tried to follow purely biblical doctrines. One Christian historian writes, For professing faith contrary to the teachings of the Church of Rome, history records the martyrdom of more than 100 million people. A million Waldenses and Albigenses, Swiss and French Protestants, perished during a crusade proclaimed by Pope Innocent III in 1208. Beginning from the establishment of the Jesuits in 1540 to 1580, 900,000 were destroyed, 150,000 
perished by the Inquisition in 30 years. Within the space of 30 years after the Edict of Charles V against the Protestants, 50,000 persons were hanged, beheaded or burned alive for heresy. 18,000 more perished during the administration of the Duke of Alva in five and a half years. One of the most dangerous things about the spiritual formation movement is that many of its spiritual exercises are actually rooted in bold, Jesuit, pantheistic spirituality. Pantheism is a worldwide view based on the belief that God is in all things. In other words, there's no distinct personal God, but He's in everything, rocks, tadpoles, trees, and even human beings, even those who blaspheme His name. For obvious reasons, Christian proponents of the spiritual formation movement often downplay, ignore, or explain away blatant pantheism and mysticism. However, the faulty foundation upon which the mainstream movement stands still remains. These philosophies are deceptive and subtle. They're deceptive because the core belief is that Jesus, in his fullness, can be found in every human being and in all of his creation everywhere. Not only is this belief completely unbiblical, it actually counterfeits the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Rather than directing our minds to see Christ as our intercessor in the heavenly sanctuary, where the Bible states his physical presence is, not inside us, and rather than inspiring us to pray to Christ through the Holy Spirit, which lives inside us as long as we obey God, see Acts 32, people are deceived into thinking they can come right into Christ's actual presence whenever they choose, communicating with Him directly through mind-stilling practices such as contemplative prayer, centering prayer, prayer labyrinths, guided imagery, and so on. Knowing what would someday come, Ellen White writes, The warnings of the Word of God regarding the perils surrounding the Christian church belong to us today. As in the days of the apostles, men tried by tradition and philosophy to destroy faith in the scriptures, so today, by the pleasing sentiments of higher criticism, evolution, spiritualism, theosophy, and pantheism, the enemy of righteousness is seeking to lead souls into forbidden paths. Because of the dangers in pantheistic philosophy, we can better understand why Ellen White and other Adventist pioneers were so concerned about Dr. J. H. Kellogg's book, Living Temple, which Ellen White said contained the alpha of deadly heresies. Without going into great detail or history of what happened, Dr. Kellogg, an influential Adventist doctor and leader of health reform in the church at that time, who later apostatized, was teaching pantheism boldly and without apology. Through this alpha apostasy, so named because it was considered the beginning of apostasies, church leaders saw people being led into a form of spiritualism where the enemy could speak directly to his victims and lead them away from God. Through prophetic visions, Ellen White was warned that at the end of time, the final omega apostasy similar to the alpha would come and it appears that these prophecies given by God himself are coming true. The Bible tells us, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men will be ever learning, 
and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Is this reason for concern? The Bible continues, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, 7 and 13, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Over a hundred years ago, we were warned what Satan would try to do in the end of time. Is he not even now beginning to follow this very path? We need to be alert so that we are not deceived. We are told that Satan will deceive the very elect if possible. Inspiration tells us the enemy is preparing for his last campaign against the church, and when he makes another advance move, many will not recognize him as their enemy, that old serpent, but they will consider him a friend, one who is doing a good work. Truly the evil wolf, otherwise known as the devil, has successfully put on sheep's clothing and is even now attempting to lead astray many in the house of God.